about, about three years ago now, Pastor Bill and I had the, the privilege of going to South Africa. Um, we, we, we pick, if you're not familiar with Calvary, we have a global project that we do every year, a couple of years. This, this coming uh, two years is going to be in the area of Asia called, called the Circle. And we'll, we'll fill you in on more of that in the, in the coming years. But, but we were in South Africa two years ago and we sent uh, three or four teams and we had opportunities to, to be a part of planting churches and influencing the community. It was fantastic. And one of the first things that we did was Pastor Bill and I went to go and, and figure out what partners will we work with, what projects will we invest in. Um, when, you, when you go and you see it, it it's, it's different. So he and I were there and we were on our way back from being there a week and looking at different things and we were going back to the airport and the gentleman that was our, was our uh, driver or whatever, he was one of the missionaries that was there that was helping us, he said, you know, on the way to the airport there's this really cool place where you can go and you can get souvenirs if you want to take something back for your family and we we're like well that'd be that'd be great can we swing in there? he's like yeah we got time so so we go in there and you roll up to this place and there's a big sign in the front it doesn't say this but it might as well say americans hope you have money it was that kind of thing right you know it's like all that all that stuff and it's cool it's awesome and you go in here you got stuff you can bring home and if you've not traveled internationally this is one of the things that's that's interesting when you go different places especially places that that uh that are very foreign for us as, as Americans or in our culture, oftentimes you'll see security in a much more visible way, especially if you're going to places where, uh, where, where international folks will gather. So when we pull into this shop, it's a gated community, basically. There's a big gate that's around it, and uh, there's a guard that's right out front, and then there's somebody patrolling the parking lot. It was this very secure setting so that when you go in there, you would feel secure and, and everything. So we, we roll up, and we're going to go in. Now, all of our luggage is in there, and also I have my backpack. Now, my backpack is my brain, right? Everything about me I keep in my backpack. So it had my iPad, it had my phone, it had my passport, it had all my documents about my flight, it had all of that in there. Everything about who I am, especially on literally the other side of the globe, is in that backpack. And so we're going to go inside, and I was like, do I need to take anything with me? He's like, nah, just take your, take your money because we're in this gated parking lot. You're all fine, just leave it in there. I'm like, all right, cool, that's, that's great. I don't want to carry that thing around. So we go in there, we're shopping. We're in there for a few minutes looking at stuff, and our host says to us, um, right around the corner is this place where I need to go to pick something up. And, and if I could just run there real quick while you guys are shopping, I'll get that done. That'll save me a few steps. Are you okay with that? We're like, yeah, cool, that's fine. He leaves. No sooner does he leave, I realize he has my soul. My backpack's in his van. And I don't know where he's going. Because I felt good about the fact that I knew it was in this gated, guarded, secure place. Now this joker who I don't even know is driving around the other side of the world with my backpack? This was, I literally, I'm not kidding, you can ask Pastor Bill, I had like, like a minor panic attack. I'm like, Bill, he has my backpack. He's like, yeah. Bill, he's got my backpack. Like, you know, I'm like, and I, I just can't, I, I, have no, I have no rest, I can't settle down, I'm trying to buy stuff, but I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm just nervous, and I, until that guy walked back in, and I knew that he was back, my backpack was secure. I had no rest, I could not think right, I had no peace. Have you ever had a feeling like that? where your thoughts and your emotions are someplace where they're just unsettled. Have you ever had this feeling like, I think I, I, think I forgot to do something. Do you know that feeling? Or like some of you, some of you have left home and left your cell phone on the counter and you need therapy as a result of that. Do you know what I mean? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's these moments where in our emotions, when in our thoughts... We don't have a sense of peace. 
Last week we talked about this Hebrew concept, this word shalom, which means completeness, wholeness, this sense of well-being, where we feel as if we have everything that we need. It's, it's this biblical concept of peace. And we see this in Scripture. It's this biblical idea. Last week we talked about how God came to bring it to us. This week I want to talk about how do you, how do you maintain it? How do you hang on to it? How do you sustain that peace in your life? Or if you're going into the new year, and this is a time when there's all kinds of opportunity, it's also a great time for us to begin to panic, isn't it? What am I going to do? What's this new year hold? Maybe great opportunities or great concerns. In the midst of that, how do I find and maintain peace? Take your Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Um, whether you have it in a digital or a print form, we're going to be looking at some verses there. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul promises us that we can have this kind of shalom, this kind of peace, and a peace that's actually beyond our comprehension. Look at what he says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul tells us this promise. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now there's a real key to this. A couple of things in this verse real quick to unpack. One, where does this peace come from? It is the peace of... Oh. It's those Christmas cookies. Okay. A couple of things we'll unpack in this verse. Where does this peace come from? It's the peace of... Ah, you're still not here. But it's the peace of God, Right? That he says transcends all understanding. So the peace comes from God and it's beyond what we can comprehend. It's beyond what we can understand. It's peace that that blows our minds. We can't make sense of it because it's not sensible. It's miraculous. It comes from God to us. So it is the peace of God that goes beyond our understanding. And watch the language that he uses here. He says that it will guard, that's a military term. It will guard our hearts and our minds. It will guard our thoughts and our emotions. It will set watch over us. Now the book of Philippians is being written to a group of people who live in a city called Philippi. Philippi in the ancient world was a garrison city. That meant that it had a military component to it. That it had a wall that surrounded it. And there were those who patrolled it. The people who lived in Philippi knew what it was like to look up and to see that there was someone who was keeping watch over their city to protect them from enemies, from outside influence. It was a place that was secure. It was guarded. So when Paul uses the analogy and says God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. It will protect your hearts and your minds. It's as if you drive into a gated parking lot and you know your backpack's safe because someone's watching over it. You can have peace in your life and know that God is with you, that he's guarding over you because that's the peace of God that comes to us. Now, this is a wonderful thing for us to consider. You can find a peace from God to protect your thoughts and emotions. You can find in your life, in the midst of opportunity or challenges, you can find a peace from God to protect, to guard, to to watch over your thoughts and your emotions. Now, that's a wonderful promise. But what's interesting is Paul promises it to us, but on the front end and on the back end, if you read the whole context of this verse, he says the peace comes from God, but you've got to do something about it. If you want to have this peace, there are things that you need to consider that are your part for finding this peace and keeping this peace. Let's go back. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's start there and see what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's real instructions there for how do you find peace in your life? so key and significant to the people that he was writing to who were the Philippians. Because the city of Philippi was not a God-based city. It was a God-less city. Even more, if you became a Christian, you were ostracized. And we'll talk about this in a moment. Becoming a Christian probably meant that you would suffer some kind of persecution, financially, relationally, maybe even physically, that in some way your commitment to Christ was going to cost you. You would probably lose something. You would probably struggle or suffer in some way if you chose to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The people in Philippi knew this. And so Paul's writing to them, and here's what he wants them to know. He wants them to know that no matter what's going on on the outside, no matter what the headlines say, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your text messages or your checkbook says, there is peace that you can find. It is available to you. He writes to them and he says this, and grasp this concept, you can have internal peace in spite of external situations. No matter what's going on around you, you can have internal peace in spite of external situations. You can find a peace that comes from God in spite of what you're facing. This morning, I want to talk to you about this. Because I don't know what your year has ahead. <laughs> you don't know what your year has ahead. There may be great things. There may be difficult things. Most likely, it's going to be a combination of both, right? But in spite of that, you can find peace. I want to talk to you about this in spite of peace. Peace that you can have in spite of what's going on in the world around you. And in spite of peace is because of Jesus. That's where it comes from. It's the only place you're going to find it. If you're going to have this in spite of peace, peace that is in spite of your situation, the confusion that may come in life, the things that people do around you, the concerns that come, if you're going to have peace, it is because of Jesus. So let's go back to this text in Philippians 4. Let me give you four keys to finding peace in the year ahead. Four keys to finding peace in the year ahead. Here's, here's what I'm convinced of. One of these is going to resonate with you. Be open to hear what the Holy Spirit might speak to you because somewhere, and it might not be today, it may be in the weeks to come, but one of these is going to be something that when you come face to face with life, in spite of what's going on around you, you can put these principles into practice Let's look at the first one. It comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Have you ever had to say something twice to someone? Like you're giving instruction to your child, or maybe there's, a, there's somebody you work with who just doesn't get it the first time. And you have to say to them, Hey, this is what you need to do. By the way, this is what you need to do. Here's what Paul says to them. He's writing this letter and he says, I want, I want to tell them to rejoice. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he stops for a minute and says, they're not going to get it. I better say it again. He says it for emphasis. This is important. He wants them to see this. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do you know why he said it twice? Because they were in situations where it was hard to rejoice. 
What does that mean to rejoice? It means you find contentment no matter what the situation. It means you, you focus on God and the good things that he brings, even if things aren't happy or safe or right or the way that you would design them to be. And here's what Paul says to us about peace. If you want to find peace in the year ahead, number one, rejoice in spite of circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Even if it doesn't look like you have anything to rejoice about, do it. Rejoice in spite of your circumstances. Paul could say this, especially to the church in Philippi, because he had some real street cred there. Here's, here's Paul's story, right? When he goes to Philippi, the first time, he's on a missions trip. This is the same city that he's writing this letter to. And when he gets there, he's with his friend Silas, and they don't like him, and they don't like these preaching Jesus. So do you know what they do to Paul and Silas? They put them in prison. Do you remember this story? And they're there, and they're in prison, and it's not a good situation. They're actually probably, you know, you know those things you can put your head and your arms in at Cedar Point? You know what I'm talking about? You've taken your picture there. You know what I'm talking about, Right? I saw it on Facebook. So those things, okay. But it's worse. What Paul is in is is painful. And he's in this spot with a bunch of prisoners in a town that he doesn't know where people are coming against him because he's doing the right thing and preaching the gospel. If there's any time that you should not be happy, that you should not rejoice, it's Paul, Acts chapter 16, in Philippi. Yet watch what he does. Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. If I was in prison, I don't know that I'd be praying and singing hymns. I'd be singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, right? Not Paul. He's like, you know what, Silas? This is bad. This is really bad. But God's good. God's really good. So let's rejoice. Let's thank him for who he is. And they begin to sing psalms and hymns. They're singing songs of praise. And the other prisoners are going, what's going on? Watch what happens next. Go back to verse uh, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Does God hear our praise? When we rejoice, when we praise him, even in the midst of crummy circumstances, he's there and he responds and he helps us. He brings us freedom and he brings us peace. Even in the midst of those times, we find peace. But what's my natural tendency? My natural tendency is not to rejoice. It's probably to complain. It's probably to grumble a little bit. To look at how wrong this is, or how bad I've got it, or the injustice that is happening, or why can't I have it the way you have it. Like, that's my default mode in those times. Here's what Paul says about that, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I think he should have said that one twice, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, watch what he said, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do you see what he bookended that with? With people who are suffering, remember. He says, do everything without complaining and grumbling and instead rejoice. Because when you rejoice, in spite of your circumstances, it does something powerful. And Paul says, I got a prison story to prove it. Here's what he's encouraging them with. Make the choice to rejoice. 
sounds very simple. But it's not something that's going to happen automatic. You've got to choose in the face of your circumstances to make the choice to rejoice. If you don't, you are blocking out what God has for you. You are missing out on what he might want to do. You're going to keep yourself from the peace that he can bring. So make the choice to rejoice. Here's the reason why. A heart that does not rejoice will not have peace. You'll be stuck and you'll be miserable and you'll be discouraged Because you'll be so self-focused. We'll talk about that in a moment. Make the choice to rejoice. Because a heart that does not rejoice will not have peace. Think of it in this way. If you're driving down the road, okay, and all of a sudden it starts to rain, do you just stop driving? Do you just pull over and go, well, it's raining. Can't drive if it's raining. I had a car that the windshield wipers didn't work quite right. That was a different story. But think about it this way, right? You're driving. What do you do? You turn the windshield wipers on. You don't stop driving. You deal with that rain and you find a way to see clearly even in the midst of it. That's what rejoicing, that's what a heart that's filled with contentment focus on God will do for you. Rejoicing is like the windshield wipers of your soul. There's going to be rain. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be complications. You don't quit. You don't give up. You don't complain. You don't get frustrated. You turn the windshield wipers on so you can see clearly and you can move ahead. You choose to rejoice. Does that make sense? So when you get the crummy diagnosis, when you find out that your hot water heater went out, when you interact with those people that just aren't as perfect as you are, choose to rejoice. Let's let's hone in on that for just a minute. Because if there's any place where I'm prone to complain, if there's any place where I'm prone to get frustrated, it's probably about you, isn't it? It's probably about somebody else. It's those times when I just, I just don't get along, I don't like, I don't have chemistry, I don't understand. Sometimes people say something to you, and you scratch your head and go, what in the world were they thinking? What were they trying to say? What do you do in those moments? Because if there's any place where I'm bound to complain and get frustrated, it's in relationships. How do I find peace in the midst of that conflict? Listen to what Paul says. It's so wise how he says this to us. He says to us in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he makes it super practical for us. Look at verse 5 of, Galatia, of uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. He says, Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. That word gentleness does not mean, oh, be careful that you don't break them. It goes a whole lot deeper than that. Here's a definition. Gentleness in that context, that that Greek word, means yielding of your personal rights. It means kindness instead of retaliation. Ouch. This has something to do with the way I drive sometimes during Christmas, right? Kindness instead of retaliation. Doing what is best for others and not just for yourself. See, this idea of rejoicing in spite of the situation, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the way you're being treated, means that I'm going to treat you the right way, that I'm going to recognize the value that you have from God. It plays into my relationships because here, and let me help you with this idea of peace for just a moment. Peaceful people respond to others based on peace and not based on circumstances. I'm not going to respond to you just based on the external way that you have treated me. I'm going to respond to you based on the peace that God has given me internally. Think about that again. Not based on the circumstances, not on the way that you've treated me, but on the way that I have this peace internally from God. That's easy to do, isn't it? (laughs) Not in the moment. Not in the moment when you're face to face with somebody 
who wants to see you lose, not in the moment when you're face-to-face with somebody who has not good intentions for you, not in the moment when you're face-to-face with somebody who would rather see you out than in. You ever, you ever been to the batting cages? Anybody ever been in the batting cages? If you play baseball or softball, the reason you go to the batting cages is so that you can practice what you're going to do in that moment when you stand at the plate. You can work on your stance. You can work on your swing. You can, you can think through, how do I do this in that moment? Because if you wait until the moment when that pitcher is eyeballing you and wants nothing but for you to lose, then you're, you're not going to have the same composure. You're not going to be ready. You're not going to be as prepared. You're not, your swing's going to be off. You're going to freak out in the moment. But if you spend some time in the batting cages, then you step up to that plate and you're ready for when you confront that opponent eye to eye. The same thing's true in our relationships. If we don't take time and spiritually allow ourselves to kind of be in God's batting cages and allow God to work in our hearts. and if Do you know the people who push your buttons? Are you sitting next to... Do you know the people who push your buttons? Right? Okay. Well, don't, don't act surprised in that moment. Think about this. Say, God, help me. How do I find peace in that circumstance? That you respond just, just in a sense to say, I know what I'm going to do. I know what peace is going to look like when it comes out of me. That you're not surprised in that moment when your preschooler acts like a preschooler. That you're not surprised in that moment when, how did we say it a couple weeks ago, when lost and hurting people act like lost and hurting people? That instead we say, God, help me to respond, not based on my circumstances, but out of peace and let gentleness be evident to all. And then there's this last line. Did anybody ever have your mom say to you, just wait till your father gets home? Do you know that line? Man, there's nothing worse. What's Paul say? Let your gentleness be evidence to all because the Lord is near. Daddy's coming home. And you're going to have to give an account for the way that you respond to the people around you. If you want to find peace in the year ahead, number one, make sure that you rejoice in spite of circumstances. Number two, let's see what Paul says to us next about maintaining the peace in our lives. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He gives us here this crazy, simple, and yet complete filter of how we should monitor our thoughts. How do we control our thought life? Why is that necessary? Because if you think about the people in Philippi, they are new believers in Christ in a world that is opposed to them being Christians. So that means they've got to change the way they think. They've got to rewire how their brain functions. They've got to think about things differently, which means in their life, they're probably going to have considerable confusion. So think about this. What Paul says is, if you're going to have peace, here's what you need to do. Verse 7, he says there's a peace from God. Verse 8, he says, finally, here's how you need to respond. And he tells us this. If you want to find peace, then number two, think clearly in spite of confusion. In spite of the confusion in the world around you, you need to make a commitment and find a way that you are going to think clearly. So Paul gives us this filter. He says, think about the things that are going to bring you peace. Don't think about the things that are going to destroy your peace. One of the things that just amazes me about people is they they say, I don't have any peace. I, I don't know. Because they keep thinking about the things that rob their peace from them. Are the things you're thinking about true? Are the things you're thinking about noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Whatever is admirable, is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? And if you go, uh, no, then why are you thinking about it? 
Because all you're doing is robbing yourself of, of peace. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but watch this. Peace is sustained by the things that you think about. So there's, there's, no, there's no quicker way for you to rob yourself of peace than to purposely go and think about things that, that decimate the peace in your life. But peace is sustained by the things that you think about. And Jesus makes this so clear to us. It's not just peace, but what starts in your head is going to come out of every other part of your body. It's going to come out in your responses. It's going to come out in what you do. Jesus makes this clear. The Proverbs makes it clear. Paul talks to us about this. Your thinking is going to affect who you are. What occupies our minds will determine our speech and actions. What occupies our minds will determine our speech and actions. If you've got a mountain, right? And there's snow or whatever on the mountain, it starts to melt, then the water starts coming down. And as that stream comes down, what it does is it finds a path or it makes a pass, it makes a course, it makes a creek or a stream for it to flow down. And that water over time is going to do what? It's going to erode that land and it's going to create a form for the flow to go through. Your thoughts are like a flow for that water. And however your thoughts flow is what's going to shape you. It's going to, you're going to conform to that. So if you have thoughts of fear or if you have thoughts that aren't true or they're not noble or they're not right, your life is going to conform to that. You will become what you think about. Your thoughts will determine your speech and your actions, which is why Paul, again, uses military language when he speaks about our thoughts. What did he say about the peace of God? He says it will guard your hearts and your minds. He also uses military language here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to what he says. This is bold. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you see the language there? We demolish wrong thoughts, we take captive of wrong thoughts, and instead we replace it with thoughts that are noble, true, just, holy, right. He, he's, he, there's, there's, there's harshness here. He says if you've got thoughts that are robbing you of peace, you take a sledgehammer to them and you demolish them. You take a roll of duct tape and seal up their hands and put something around their mouth and you kidnap those things and you take them captive and you replace. That's kind of, that's what he's saying though, right? I kind of scare me that I even thought about that. <laughs> but that's what he's saying. That's the language that he's using. Grasp this. We talked about this back in August. One of the problems that we face in finding peace in our lives is that we don't think about our thinking. We put our thinking on autopilot. And here's the truth. There will be times when there is a battle for our minds. We can't just give our minds a free-for-all. It's everywhere. You turn on the TV and you see that infomercial and they say, you need this. You must buy this. And you're like, I should buy that so I can put it in my closet for the next 10 years and never use it. But why? There's this battle for our minds. What are you going to do? How are you going to decide? The battle comes from external sources. The battle comes from our own internal struggles. It happens. And at some point, friends, you've got to realize you've got to, excuse the terminology, but you've, you've got to man up and you've got to prepare yourself to do battle against the thoughts that may come in your mind. And in those times... You've got to replace greed with contentment. You've got to replace a, a, a faulty view of yourself with who Christ says you are. You've got to replace things that the culture says are true with what God's word says are true. You've got to take your fear and replace it with your faith. You need to displace false thinking with scriptural truth. 
And that's just, that's, just, that's just the truth about how we think. And if we fail to do that, if we just let our minds go wild, you know what's going to happen eventually? You're not going to have any peace. You're going you're gonna to decimate that in your life. Instead, you think about the things that God has told you will be that filter, that Philippians 4, 8 filter about your thoughts. What does the Bible say about this? How do I think about people and cultural issues and my decisions and my challenges and my future? And if you'll do that, he says, then peace will be sustained in your life. And some of you, the reason that you're struggling to find peace and contentment is because every time you do, you come up with some other crazy thought to push it out of your head. You know how I know that? Because I'm really good at it. And most of you are too. So what does the Bible say? If you want to have peace in the year ahead, rejoice in spite of your circumstances. Think clearly in spite of confusion. Let's go to a third thing. What else does it tell us? Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul said, look, I taught you some things, and I showed you some things, and you know the way you're supposed to live. (laughs) Live the way you're supposed to live, even though it's easy for you not to. Remember, the whole culture for the people in Philippi was to do whatever they wanted. It was all about self-gratification. It was all about get what you want. And when these Christians decided to live instead by biblical principles, remember, they were ostracized, they were persecuted, they suffered, they lost. It would be easier to do the things that God's word said were not right But Paul was saying, if you want to find peace, no matter what else you have, if you want to find peace, do the right thing. Here's the third thing I would challenge you with today. If you want to find peace in the year ahead, do right in spite of wrong. Number three, do right in spite of wrong. I know this is crazy simple, but it's so so difficult to live out. This is something that you you teach your your kids when they're really little, right? If you want things to go well for you, do the right things. If you don't, there will be consequences. One of those key areas in our life is peace. Have you ever done something that you knew you shouldn't do? You said something you knew you shouldn't say. You treated somebody in a way you knew you shouldn't. And when you did, hopefully you still had a conscience and you lost peace. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's very clear. Now watch what Paul lays out for us here. He says it very clearly. Look, if you do the right things, he says, then the God of peace will be with you. That's a pretty big promise. When we do what is right, it gives God opportunity to fill our lives with peace. When you, when you, you you can't conjure up this peace on your own. It's from God. But when you do the right things, you open up the door, you, you take the lid off for him to be able to fill your life with peace and to give you the peace that you need. And he's the only one that can do it. Now, we can't earn, we can't act our way into this peace. God has to bring it. And that's the positive side. Let me give you the negative side. You can wreck it, though. Look, you can mess it up. Like, you, you don't determine what family you're in. That's just something that happens. And let's, let's just... Let's just humor ourselves and say we're part of a great family it's wonderful it's loving when we're together every day is christmas but you 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 can't earn that but you can disown it you can treat people poorly you can reject it you can act your way out of that relationship you can't earn god's peace but you can act your way out of it and you can do things that will push god's peace away in your life we can act our way out of peace We can act our way out of peace. 
we can do things that dismiss God's peace from our lives. Let me say it to you this way. Somebody, somebody says, um, I'm, just, I'm just really tired and I don't know why. I wonder why I'm so tired all the time. Or you're getting, you're getting much sleep. Yeah, probably two, three, four hours a night. Well, that's why you're tired. You're not sleeping. You know, I just, I just don't know. I don't know why I feel so bad. I just don't, I just don't feel good. I just, I just wonder why I feel bad. Well, what are you eating? Oh, man, I've been eating nothing but Christmas cookies for the last two weeks. Well, no wonder you feel lousy. All you're doing is eating sugar and Christmas cookies. You're happy, but you feel terrible. No wonder. I just, I don't, I don't know why. I just don't have any peace in my life. Well, what are you doing? Whatever I want to. When was the last time you opened your Bible? Easter. It was really good. Jesus came back. Well, that's, that's cool. But if you open your Bible since then, no. Well, no wonder you feel far from God. No wonder you don't know what he's speaking to you. No wonder you're lacking his peace in the situation. Because, because the things that you do either open the door or close the door on God's peace being able to come to your life. And sometimes people go, oh, I, don't, I just can't get a handle on my finances. Do you honor God with your finances? No. Well, no wonder God can't bless you in that. Are you living your life in a way that honors him? No. Well, then why, why do you wonder if you're lacking peace? So you can act your way out of peace in your life. If you want to have peace in the year ahead, it may be a good time in how you rejoice and in how you think and just simply in what you do to say, God, is this lining up with your word and what you want from me? Not because he's cruel, but because he knows what works. And he knows that if you do, there's a peace that comes. Not only a peace, but he says the God of peace will be with you. And that's a pretty cool promise. Now watch these things. He says that we should rejoice in spite of our circumstances, that we should think clearly in spite of a world filled with confusion, that we should do right in spite of wrong, that we should trust him in spite of that. And all of this causes us to focus back on him, back on the God who gives us peace. So ultimately, let me show you the fourth thing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul says this, number four, that you need to pray in spite of worry. Number four, that you need to pray in spite of worry. Look, there's going to be difficult situations. We've already talked about this. There's going to be crummy thoughts that come in your head, and there's going to be challenges that come your way. And there are rainy days for all of us. What do you do in the midst of that? Paul challenges us that we pray in spite of worry. Here's why. Because for many, worry is our default mode. It's immediately what we go to. And when we face a challenge or a circumstance, if we sense a hint of anxiety, the first thing that we do is we go to worry that doesn't move us forward, but it is self-focused, and it's completely counterproductive, and counterproductive worry is too often our default mode. We want life to be straight and narrow. We want to go in one direction, and sometimes life throws us left turns, and then we don't know how to respond in those things. About 10 years ago, uh, our, our family had this this. Dodge Caravan, and um, one day I came home, and Rhonda said, something really weird happened. I says, what's that? She says, well, I made, a, I made a left-hand turn, and when I did, the horn honked. You made a left-hand turn, and the horn honked. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, sweetie. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Like, I just, I just thought, that's, that's crazy. That did, didn't happen. That's nuts, but she just probably just kind of leaned on or something weird happened in the process. A couple days later, we were driving down the road. So picture this with me. We're going down Glendale towards downtown Toledo, right? So we're going down Glendale. We get to the trail. 
Do you know where I mean? Glendale going east on the trail. And we're going to make a left turn onto the Anthony Wayne Trail. And if you know that area, you make that left turn. It's kind of this wide sweeping turn that you go out and onto the trail. I'm driving. Ron is in the passenger seat. As we're driving, I make the left turn. And as I begin to turn all the way through the intersection, this caravan goes. She looks over at me and she's like, okay, sweetie. Something was all messed up in the steering column there. And there was a short that, and this, the story goes on and on and on because I'm just a bonehead. But every time you'd, you'd make this left-hand turn, that's your default mode for many of you. You want life to be on the straight and narrow. And then it throws you a curve you didn't see and you go to make that left-hand turn and immediately you go, comes up inside of you, right? And you're filled with anxiety and you're filled with doubt and you're filled with fear and you go to worry in spite of your circumstances. And instead, what God says to us is that we pray in spite of worry. I'm not saying you don't have things to worry about. And look, when you do, do something about it. If you get a broken window at your house, for whatever reason, you have this broken window, it's December. Don't just stand there and go, Lord, I pray that you'd heal that window right now. Put cardboard over it, call somebody. It's going to get cold. Don't be dumb. Do what you need to do. Respond, but entrust it to God. Don't worry about it. Believe He's the one who's going to take care of it. Believe that He's the one that's going to lead you. He's going to help you and walk it through. Don't let that counterproductive worry take over and become who you are. Instead, find the antidote to worry. Can I tell you what it is? It's prayer. Prayer is the antidote to worry. When you trust him, you put your confidence and your hope in him. You say, God, I don't know what to do in this circumstance, and I'm unsure about it, and Lord, it may give me fear, and it may give me cause to be concerned, but I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to think about what's good and right, and God, I'm going to do the right thing, and in the midst of this, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to entrust it to you. And can I let you know a little secret? This may just be me, but I think it's you too. You may have to pray that more than once. Because when you're done with that prayer, worry's probably going to come knocking again. Does worry know your address as well? And so you pray it again. You say, God, I trust in you. Here's why we do this. Because we know that when we pray about those things that's too much pressure for us to handle on our own, then we place it on someone who can handle the pressure. Have you ever had a need where God just said, whoa, sorry about that big guy. I didn't see it coming and I can't handle it. It doesn't happen. That's why we entrust him with those things. Prayer allows me to place the pressure of life's cares on one who can handle the pressure. I can't handle it. When you build a house, what do you do? Before you build the house, you put the frame up, you put a foundation down first. You put a foundation because you know that you need something that's going to handle the pressure, the weight of that home, so it can sustain it. Prayer needs to be the foundation of your life where you take the pressure of your home where you take the pressure of your job, where you take the pressure of your special people in your life, where you take the pressure of those situations, and you say, God, I, I give this to you. Lord, I trust you with this. Because I know that with your help, you take the pressure, you'll give me peace. Even if everything around me seems to be swirling out of chaos. I don't know, I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know if it's good things. I don't know if it's bad things. I don't know if either one of them just scares you (laughs) anyways. Here's what I know. That Paul says that if you'll take your prayer and petition. Petition is is a word that means you take your needs to the one who can take care of it. 
You take your prayer and petition to God, then he will give you a peace that passes all understanding. He throws one other really cool ingredient in there. He says that if we will with prayer and petition, and he says, and with thanksgiving, which does not mean that you only pray in November, just for the record. What he means is this, that you, you go to it with a heart of gratitude towards God. Not that you're thankful for the sickness or you're thankful for the conflict or you're thankful for, for whatever, but you say, God, I give thanks to you because I know you're the one who can handle this. God, I give thanks to you because I know that you're in control. I rejoice because I know I can count on you. I think right things because I know right thinking will give me peace. Lord, I trust in you because I know that will make a difference. And a thankful heart is a heart at peace. A thankful heart is a heart at peace it's interesting Paul, Paul says it this way he, he gives us all these instructions in Philippians this must have been something that had been very true in his life because watch what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 listen to the words that we've already talked about totally different passage of scripture but he says rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus the same things that he said in Philippians and he said if you will do those things if you'll rejoice, if you'll watch the way you think, if you'll be careful how you act, and ultimately, if you'll pray and give all that to God, then the God of peace, listen to the words he used in verse 9, he says, the God of peace will be with you. This makes Christmas all the more real, because Jesus came to be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And because he's with us, you can have peace for the year ahead. Here's what Jesus said, wonderful promise, John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Jesus says, if you look to him, then he'll bring you peace. So here's what I invite you to do today. Would you stand with me just all, all throughout the sanctuary? And um, I want to take Paul up on his offer. And I want to pray about those things today that may cause us some anxiety or worry. And you know what those are. They may be big, they may be small, they may be great, they may be difficult. I, I don't know what that is, but, but we're going we're gonna to pray this morning. Here's what I simply want to ask you to do. If, if, if you're here and you would say, God, thanks, I needed to be reminded that you are the source of peace for me today. Would you just raise your hand that you say, God, I need peace. I need peace. Wow. Me too. <laughs> God, I need peace. Here's, here's what's interesting. The, the practice in biblical times, the greeting that they gave to each other was this word, shalom. It was like, it was like hello or goodbye or like aloha or, or you know, something like that. That's how they greet one another. They, they, this, this blessing, I hope you have God's peace in your life as you come and as you go. What, what if we did that today? What if we prayed for peace for one another? So would you do this, uh, not, not in any kind of weird way or anything, but would you just take your hand and place it on the shoulder of the person next to you? And the first thing I want to ask you to do is that you would pray for peace for that person. You, you, may, uh, you may want to just in one or two words, especially if you, you know the person or you just feel led to do this, just, just say to them, you don't need to tell them your life story. Just I need peace in my workplace. I need peace in my home. I, need, I just need peace. You don't have to say anything, but if, if you want to do that, you can do that. And why don't I lead us in a word of prayer? Pray for first peace for the person that's next to you on your right and your left. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, I pray for my friend. God, I ask that you would give to him. Lord, I pray that you would impart to her your shalom and your peace. 
Lord, you know what she's concerned about. God, you know what he's got on his mind. But Lord, your, te- your word tells us that you are the God of peace and that your peace that passes all understanding will guard us. It will protect us. It'll protect our thoughts. It'll protect our emotions. So Lord, I pray that right now in Jesus' name, you do that for my friend. Lord, that you would give to them shalom. Lord, that peace on earth would be theirs. And that as they go into this new year, and as they choose to rejoice, Lord, as they take the way that they think and they act and they run it through the filter of your word, God, that when when anxiety pounds on their door, instead they would take that to you in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to have peace. And God, a peace that doesn't make sense in the natural, that can only be a peace that comes from you, that that goes beyond, that transcends our understanding. And Lord, while I'm praying for them, I pray for me too. Lord, we pray for ourselves in this moment. Lord, you know the situations in our jobs and in our health, in our marriages and in our parenting and in our finances. Lord, you know for some of us the fears that want to ravage our thinking. And Lord, you know for some of us the the default mode of worry that that becomes so natural. Lord, you know for some of us the words that we say or the things that we do that seem to drive peace out of our lives or the way that we're so quick to give way to criticism or complaining and instead today, Lord, we choose to rejoice, we choose to pray because what we want, Father, in our lives is your peace. Lord, and we rest today in a God who has already reminded us that you love us and know us by name and that you freely give to us a peace that goes beyond what we can understand. Lord, thanks for your mind-blowing peace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let me leave you with um, the blessing that Moses told Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.